0: Hi and welcome to Doing Good. I'm Rob Alvarez
1: and this is Kathy Wynn. Each week we aim to bring you amazing stories from everyday people who are taking on life's challenges,
0: both big and small and along the way doing good for others.
1: We hope you enjoy these intimate conversations and thank you so much for listening. In this episode, we talk with Rocio Vallejos-Hoyt. Rocio works at the Burrell Institute of Los Angeles. She shares with us her experience helping individuals and their families facing life-altering illnesses and living through it herself when her sister Wendy suffered a ruptured brain aneurysm. Please enjoy our touching conversation with Rocio as we talk about what it means to lend a helping hand and the importance of also being open to accepting it.
0: Hi, Rocio. So glad to have you here on our podcast it is LA Marathon weekend and I think almost your entire family is running it, uh, especially your sister Wendy who suffered a ruptured brain aneurysm a few years back and we'll, you know, really want to get into that story um, with you and your family. But one thing I wanted to start with is the work you do with the Braille Institute, which I think is great work. I wanted to kind of start with that in the present. So what kind of work do you do for the Braille Institute of Los Angeles in What's your average day kind of look like?
2: Well, first of all, hello, Kathy and Rob. Nice to see you both again. Yes, it is Marathon Weekend, and we're so excited. Um, more to talk about later. But um, I do work for the Braille Institute. Um, I've been working with them for about 17 years now. Um, I started as a volunteer. And I was initially teaching Braille to individuals that have lost their vision. Um, They were newly blind. So I started as a volunteer teaching Braille on a weekly basis. I had a little classroom with about three students. And every weekend, every week, actually, we um, reviewed, you know, the Braille code. The Braille Uh code is, some people think it's really difficult
0: yeah, um, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, it does take time and dedication because at the end of the day, you are using your fingerprints to read, you know, uh, your fingers actually, you know, to read. So from that, I always knew that I wanted to work with children and I knew they had a department that did that. So I when there was an opening, I went and I applied to be one of their youth counselors. Okay and so
0: is that the work you do now mainly is with no that's know? not oh, okay. the work
2: so what i do now it's i work with uh the older adults oh, okay. that have recently lost their vision due to an eye disease you know mainly oh. an eye disease but i do have clients that have lost their vision either due to a stroke um suddenly i've had some clients that uh-huh. have lost their vision suddenly um No explanation on that one. Uh, A lot of them have um, either diabetes as well. The majority also have glaucoma. It's pretty common. And what I do, it's mostly case management. Uh, So when a client comes into our center, my job is to connect them with the different services that we provide. And the initial process is if the client still has some vision remaining, we connect them with one of our occupational therapists who is in... um, kind of guides them through creating a care plan the first thing it's a care plan so my job is make sure that these clients are going to the right services depending on their needs and goals that they want to accomplish
0: so can you recall any particularly difficult days or cases that you've had to handle either kind of more recently or maybe work when you were working with with youth
2: yes um one case that i had was about Two years ago, um, uh, a wife called me. Her husband had brain cancer and had was 45 years old, had just had um, surgery and woke up from the surgery completely blind. Oh, wow. So he was in deep depression um, and everything that comes with cancer, you know, chemotherapy. He was tired all the time. He was just... In such a isolation and deep depression that when I went to see him, it was pretty upsetting because I knew that he didn't want to be in that state. But because of his family, you know, being there and helping him, he still had something, some hope, I I want to say, you know. Um, I worked with him for about a month And then he just, you know, his disease kind of progressed, you know. And the wife said, let's take a break. My job with him was um, providing him um, skills, you know, uh, working with him on daily living skills. Uh Uh, Being that he was totally blind, he needed to relearn Simple things, you know, um, yeah, sort of. Things we take like, for
0: granted, right? Yeah,
2: simple yeah. thing is, how do I navigate my surroundings at home? Even though I know that I've been living here for a long time, now I'm just disoriented. I don't know how to navigate and I feel so sick and I feel so weak, but I, I still need to have that independence. Like, how do I keep it, you know? And the wife wanted to help and his kids wanted to help and they just didn't know how Anyways, um, fast forward, um, the wife said, let's take a break. Um, He's going to go into another round of chemotherapy. And when he's done, we're going to call you back and you can come back. And when he was done, she actually called me and she said, Rocio, I have bad news. Um, Things didn't go well as we planned. So thank you for everything that you've done. Um, My husband won't be needing the services oh, oh. from Barrel Institute anymore. And that was pretty um, pretty sad for me because yeah, I can imagine. 45 years old, his kids were in high school, a wife who worked, had a full time and at the same time needed to take care of him. The family was pretty involved and him having brain cancer, it really connected me to what my sister had gone through. Wow. So I yeah. have a very... My heart has an affinity for those sort of cases, you know. So that was one case. There's many cases, you know, but that one really touched me because, you know, you think he was going to get better and then he didn't. Yeah.
0: So, But I think even probably for that brief period of time, you're able to kind of give them a little bit of hope that they can um, kind of almost get back to normal, I guess, at least closer to... Learning some some of the skills that you yeah able to yeah
2: you know and the family learned for example how to provide him with a human guide meaning how do I offer him help you know um, we know he's totally blind but how do I still offer him to be a human guy I'm not. Saying you can't be independent, I'm just offering you. And how do I guide him without him hurting himself or the family member feeling like, oh, I'm being inadequate? I don't know how to help him to, yeah. like, you know, get into the car. Something as e- simple for us that comes so natural to us, you know, we go open the door, we get in. For somebody that's totally blind, you actually need to let them know yeah. the door is open. Maybe show them with their hand, you know, here's the door, make sure you know that you don't hurt yourself when you get, you have to use descriptions to let them know something that we don't do. And when, when we open the door for somebody, we don't let them, oh, here, let me get your hand, show you where it is. Oh, be careful with your head. So imagine when you're not used to that, your family member can easily hurt themselves, you know, because you're you're not thinking In that sense. So in my case, it was kind of training the family to think in that sense, you know. We have a loved one that's totally blind. Now we need to think differently. We can't just get up and go.
0: Yeah, that's something I I, I wouldn't even think about that. The help that you and the Braille Institute provide, because I'm just thinking, you know, just my limited knowledge. You just teach them how to read in Braille. But it sounds like there's a lot of emotional
1: Support and guidance as well, you know, yes, it's yeah. it, and and I'm sure th- the case with him perhaps affected you or, or brought up some not so good memories is, you know, you were emotionally mm. invested too. I'm, mm. I'm sure when you're helping these individuals, um, and, you know, obviously i I, I know Rocio for what, almost two years now. And she's like the sweetest. Could be three years. Three years. That's oh my right. God, three I years. <laughs> um, and she's like the sweetest thing. Mm. I mean, she, I mean, once you meet her or once she meets you and, um, I feel like once she, she feels like you're her people, I mean, she embraces you completely 100% and that's how she is with me. So I can only imagine, you know, when, when you're helping these individuals, um, you know, that there's there's emotions that you, you can't help but, you know, put out there for them. and um, But that's unfortunate because, you know, wow, 45, I mean, Rob and I are, are 45. We have kids that are in high school. And it's just, you don't think about, you don't think about those, um, you know, uh, situations where, Wow. Yeah. And life-changing, uh, yes, too, because so, the family absolutely. didn't expect that. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's it's so not quick. just the individuals, yeah. but it yeah. affects everyone. It's almost like a
2: domino effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, everyone was affected in that family, you know, and there's so many cases like that that we see. There's the one that was diabetic, you know, and she woke up, and she was suddenly totally blind, you know, like and she couldn't understand. Last night, I was able to see, how can I wake up? today and I'm, my vision is gone you know so through the work at the braille institute that's what we do we try to do the holistic
0: approach do you have any any stories where it's been kind of the most rewarding for you any cases
2: yes i have one um she is early 60s diabetic latina woman and she's the one that i'm talking about that she went to bed with vision, woke up totally blind, and she was li- recently told her story at work to to um, one in one of our staff meetings. Um, this woman had a whole life, you know. She said everything was normal. I cooked for my family. I took care of my family. I was a housewife. I thought I had my diabetes under control, and one day she's up and she tells her son why is it dark why are the lights off and the son said what are you talking about mom the lights are not off and she said it's dark I cannot see anything and the son said are you sure you can't see anything and the mom said no and well mom the windows are open the lights are on and that's when it hit her that she was blind Oh, wow. She went into isolation. She said she was in isolation for about two years. She only came out of her room to eat, bathroom, take a shower, went back into her room. Um, suddenly, at one of her doctor's visits, she heard about the Braille Institute. The doctor said, you know, it's been two years now, you know. Oh, wow, It's two time years. for you to accept, I guess, you know, that this is not going to change. So... Why don't I provide you with, with um, resources? And that's how she came to the Braille Institute. And she said, I was pretty hesitant, you know, coming to the Braille Institute because she said, I didn't know what it was. I thought the same thing, you know. Uh I don't need to learn braille. I need to learn (laughs) how to be independent again. I don't need to read with my fingers. And she said, little did I know that when I walked through those doors, there were so many services waiting for me, you know. And one of the services that has really impacted her is our program of orientation and mobility. She knew she needed to use a white cane. Um, For somebody that's visually impaired or blind, using a white cane or coming to determination that they need a white cane is basically accepting I am blind. Uh, I am a person with a disability and the whole world is going to know that I am blind. And that you could understand the sense of shame, shame shame that comes with it. You know, and the family members, same thing, you know, a family. Oh, my God, my mother. Now, every time we go out there, she has to have this cane. Everybody's going to look at us. Everybody's going to know that she's yeah, blind. Everyone's going to feel it's sorry. the stigma. For her. Yeah. Yes, it's the stigma. So she said, when I came in and I was ready to use that cane and I received the services, she said it only took about three to four months before she was actually ready to go out. She oh, said, wow. I don't care if I have to wear this cane or if I have to use it. This is for my protection. And now I'm, I'm kind of like going to retake over the world again, you know. So now you see her. She's back to her normal self. She goes all over the city with her white cane, Um She's one of our volunteers now because she wanted to give back to the Braille Institute. And what she wanted to do was help new individuals that came into Braille Institute in the same, with the same attitude or the same feeling that she came into our services. And she provides them support, you know, as to everything's going to be okay. You know, it's okay for you to be angry today or it's okay for you to not want to accept that this happened but eventually you're going to be independent or you're going to be yourself again it's just in a different way you know you're going to see the world differently so Mm -hmm. her story is really nice you know because from being in this state of denial and now being
1: in a state of empowerment i think yes yes. (laughs) talk about taking back her life yeah. I mean, the, the first thing that came to my head was, <laughs> my goodness, she's like superwoman. You're just, yeah. you know, yeah. taking back her life, um, not giving a care about what people think. And really, yeah. <laughs> you, you shouldn't. Um, but, of course, you know, we're all humans. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's hard not to to feel, you know, someone looking at us differently or feeling pity for us. But now the fact that, you know, she's taking back her life and... And now she's making the choice to better herself by helping others, bettering yeah. you know, the lives of other people. I think that's uh that's tremendous work. And and again it it falls back to, you know, the work that you do. I mean, clearly she saw the um the goodness in, in, in what she was getting there. And I, I you know, the fact that she's giving back that's that's tremendous. That's yeah, really great.
2: Yeah, you know, and To be honest, all these stories, when I hear about them, it inspires me to do better. You know, it inspires me to want to help others. I want to help them more, you know. And one tactic that I use is asking them, you know, what else do you need? You know, what else can we do for the organization to make things better? What will make it better? You know, recently our occupational therapy program um, began was put in place, and that has made so much difference, you know, because now people know, okay, I'm getting professional help. Not that they weren't getting it before they were, but having that background, you know, in OT, it it really... gives them a sense of trust in our services you know so it has inspired me so much that i i want to do the same thing you know i want to go and see how can i help you know whether it is with the visually impaired community whether it is with the older community i still want to make sure you know that i better myself too too so i can give back to the community you know so that's awesome yeah
0: (laughs) our main link to you was through your sister, Wendy, who, like Kathy, suffered a ruptured brain aneurysm um, almost three years ago. Can you take us back to that day when you first heard the news? Um, because I think I'm very interested in this perspective because it's from a family member versus the actual, you know, the person um, that went through the uh, yeah. that trauma. yeah. Um, and I know that this kind of things really affect families very deeply as well, kind of in a different way, but it does have an impact on families. So kind of want to hear your perspective.
2: Well, you know what, that day I remember I was supposed to go hiking with them and I instead I told Wendy, no, I just want to sleep in today, you know, mm-hmm. and she said, OK, we're still going to go and. We'll keep in touch later when we're done. And I said, that's fine. When she was done, I asked her, how was your hike? She said, it was fine. And she said, what are you going to do tonight? And I said, I'm actually going to have dinner with my husband. And that was about it. Um, At dinner time, I remember getting a call from from her. And I thought, strange. She told me she was going to go to the movies. And she knows that I'm out to dinner. Okay, so I remember I, I pick up the call and she said, where are you? And I said, I'm having dinner like I told you. <laughs> and she said, I don't feel well. And I said, oh, what's wrong? And she said, I have a massive headache and my neck is stiff. Uh-huh. And I said, wait a minute, what? And she said, yes. Um, we left the movies, we're on our way to the emergency room. And I said, mm, did you drink water? um. Anything bothering you? I'm thinking she's dehydrated. Uh-huh. I'm thinking it's stress. It can be, you know, maybe it's a muscle spasm. I'm not thinking brain aneurysm. In fact, I had never heard that before Wendy's injury. Yeah. So I remember wrapping dinner. I told my husband, we got to go. I'm, I'm going to the ER. I want to see what's going on with her. Got to the ER. My sister Alma is there, her daughter is there. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, they did a CT scan on her and um, we're waiting. I said, a CT scan? Why, Why would they do that? And Alma said, I don't know. They just want to check that everything's fine. And I started asking, you know, did did she fall? Did she have anything? What happened? Did she hit her head? Why would they do a CT scan? And almost, of course, she's like, I don't know. So I remember calling my husband. And I, of course, by then my voice voice is shaking. And I said, they did a CT scan on her. Do you have an idea why would they do that? And he said, oh, why would they do that? And I said, I have no idea. Anyways, went back. My husband said, they probably just want to check what's going on, you know, don't worry about it. Um, Like 30 minutes later, the doctor came in. We were there, and I remember she said, okay, we got your CT scan back. I have um, not so good news. Um, There's a bleeding in your brain. Oh, wow. And I just felt that the whole world just, like, stopped. I'm thinking, a bleeding in her brain? What happened, and the doctor said don't please don't panic. I cannot tell you anything else um, Medically, we call it subarachnoid, um hemorrhage, but we cannot treat her here, so there is an ambulance on the way, and I remember saying an ambulance what what's going on you know and wendy, of course she's What's going on? Why? Why is there an ambulance on the way? And, and my sister, Alma, is like, calm down, calm down. I'm like, no, but why is there an ambulance? So anyways, the ambulance came and they they just said, don't try to follow us, okay? Because the sirens are going to be on and um, we're taking her to medic, uh, the Keck Medical Center. Of course, the turmoil of, I'm thinking, but she looks fine. I'm, I mean, she just has a headache, but she looks fine. She's okay. They took her. We went next. I remember when she arrived, we went check in everything. Doctors, you know, um, the nurses, they said, there's nothing we can do right now. Go home. Come back in the morning. There is a team of doctors being put together. Oh, wow. And I remember a team of doctors. What? OK. And my husband's like, calm down. Everything's going to be OK. Let's go sleep. We'll come back in the morning. We went home. I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking, oh my God, let this not be a bad thing. You know, let, let it be something that's not that serious. Came back and met the doctor. Dr. Mac. told us what happened. And sure enough, there she is on her way <laughs> to brain surgery. Oh, wow! And, and I, we're thinking brain so the next surgery day. the next day. Oh, wow. Um, her surgery was scheduled for Tanayama. So the next day, there she is. We said a prayer. She's wheeled into the surgery room. It was the longest six hours that we waited. I mean, wow. I kept looking at the clock. I kept looking at my phone, hoping that the time will match, you know. Yeah. After six hours, Dr. Mack came into the room and he had told us that if everything went well it, it shouldn't take more than 4 hours. At 6 hours I'm thinking what is going on? 6 hours. So when he came in he told us what happened and I remember what really stuck to me was we had to induce coma in her. Oh wow. My legs were shaking. I think I almost collapsed. I started crying and hearing those words were in coma like why was she being com- why would you put her in coma and he tried to explain what had happened but everything was just happening a turmoil you know and yeah. then we see the team bringing her back and she's in coma she is in an induced coma and i'm i think six hours ago we we were talking to you we I mean, what happened? So anyways, um, she was in in an induced coma for about four days. Um, The second day was the hardest where um, we didn't know if she was going to make it, you know, because by then, Dr. Max said, we don't know. We don't know how the surgery, the surgery went well. We just don't know how her brain's going to respond to it. We don't know how her body's going to respond to it. We just got to wait until she wakes up.
0: So was it just a matter of time and waiting or was there something that they were waiting on to bring her to, out of the coma? Yeah. So is it just to get herself away. out of it? And-
2: yes, get herself out of it. Obviously uh-huh. her brain is swollen. Um she had a a little tube coming out of her brain, you know, and as you can imagine, the whole picture was like, What happened to her? Yeah. Like what is going on here? You know, and the second day when she had fever she didn't have it she had fever and her brain pressure they couldn't control the brain pressure they couldn't control the temperature they couldn't con- it was just it was traumatic yeah. <laughs> that's all i can describe it traumatic you know and we just didn't know you know but when they decided to bring the medication down to wake her up the first time they did her brain just didn't respond well, you know, her brain was definitely having a lot of activity, and with the surgery like that, Doctor Max said we don't we don't want her to have any effort at all. We want her when she wakes up, we want all her vitals to be fine. We want her brain pressure to be okay. I was like, when when is that going to happen? Yeah. When- well,
0: so when when was the first time that you were able to communicate with her?
2: I want to say a week, oh, wow. a week a after. Week. Yeah. Because that by then they try to um, take the tube out and mm-hmm. she didn't respond well to that. So they had to put the, into intubated her. Oh, okay. So imagine for us watching, you yeah. know, or not, wow. literally we didn't watch, but knowing that that's, that was what's going on, you know, and. The nurse is like, she didn't respond well to, like, taking out the tube. Now we have to do it again. And, and we're thinking, is it going to be painful for her? Does she know that? Is she awake? I mean, is she no, aware that tell, this is right? happening? Yeah, because you're not able to
0: communicate. Yes,
2: either. you know. And just the uncertainty of it, you know, yeah. not knowing. <sighs> like, I saw, I I see her, and I'm thinking, this is not my sister. Like, this uh-huh. is not her.
0: So what was it like when you, I guess, were able to first communicate or how how was that interaction?
2: When she woke up, she's looking at us and she is confused. She's Uh thinking, where am I? And I remember she was saying, we had just come back from a trip to New York. So she kept saying, why are we in New York? (laughs) And I said, oh, my God, she doesn't know what happened to her. And I said, no, we're not in New York. Do you know what happened to you? And she said, no, I see the buildings. I know we're in New York. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, what happened to this woman, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, you know? And then um, the next thing she said, uh, am I still running the L.A. Marathon? <laughs>
0: oh, my God.
2: And we knew, like, her memories were just not in place.
0: Yeah, wow.
2: But we tried to still tell her, you know, you're going to be okay. You had... Um, You had something, something happened to you. When you wake up completely, we're going to let you know what happened. And then I think it took about another week for her to kind of start realizing, oh, I'm in a hospital. Like, What happened to me? And I remember we kept repeating it to her. We kept repeating it. She kept asking, and what happened? And what happened? And why am I here? And she just couldn't remember where she worked she couldn't remember what she had done before prior to getting into the hospital. She, say, she kept asking, how did I end up here? Tell me what happened. So, you know, as a family, we're thinking, oh, my gosh, she lost part of her memory. You know, she mm-hmm. lost her memory because everything that has happened. Yeah. You but know? did she
0: knew, was she able to recognize she recognized
2: us yeah she recognized us she just some memories were gone and when we talked to her neurosurgeon the neurosurgeon said it's normal you know it's Mm -hmm. completely normal for her to behave this way not be aware where she is or not remember some things remember um the doctor described it as as a computer being reset Uh and for us who didn't know those medical terms, it was easy to understand those analogies, you know. Oh, a computer being reset, it needs to take time, you know, to reprocess everything, you know, to sort things out and put them in order, like put them in the right files, you know. So that's how we explain it to her too, you know. And for her, it took a while to settle in for her. Even when she was moved to rehabilitation, she was still not able to comprehend what had happened. But we knew... She didn't even know time. She was asking, how long have I been in the hospital? And we said, three weeks. You've been in the hospital three weeks. And she said, how long was I asleep? Asleep? You were in induced coma, like you almost died. And she said, I did? You know, so for me, it was okay that she didn't know any of that. But for us, living those days and a touch and go, touch and go, especially not knowing if she was going to ever wake up or in what state she was going to wake up, you know. And I imagine the worst. I imagine, Lord, if she wakes up, I don't know, she can't do anything. Like, are we ready for that? Who's going to take care of her? You know, you prepare for the worst, you know. So that's draining. I remember going home and I just... I couldn't sleep. I was crying all the time, calling my parents. I was that annoying family (laughs) member, (laughs) annoying family member at the (laughs) at the neuro ICU, calling, making sure that she was okay. You know, I make sure I met all the nurses. You know, so from the family point of view, it's still a traumatic experience. You know, it is for the patient, I think, but Mm -hmm. in a way. And I don't know, Kathy, how, what you're going to say about this, but in a way, I feel for Wendy, it's a blessing that she didn't know all of that happened, you know, yeah. or that she was in all that much pain.
0: Well, it was very interesting because it's a very traumatic event, but it's very, from very different perspectives yeah. from a patient versus the family. I think, yeah, just like, I think Kathy's story is a little bit different exactly how it played out, but. Very similarly, she didn't really have a recollection of all the things that went on in the weeks when she was, you know, unconscious. Kind of the roller coaster ride that we yeah. as uh, family members went through, which is kind of interesting. And I know they have a kind of another sort of roller coaster ride and journey kind of afterwards when, as, as part of their recovery, yeah. you know, and it becomes different yet again for all the family members to. there and provide support
2: especially when you don't know how you know you're still recovering from what happened you know and you're still healing from that or i don't know when the healing process began for us to be honest i think the healing process for me began when she was able to be herself again you know and that's because prior to that i was just too busy making sure that she was doing okay, you know. And not just me, my entire family. I I almost feel like we all put our lives on hold. I don't know if that's how you felt when Kathy had her aneurysm, that you just, you, your whole entire soul and energy goes to that person. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely for family members. It can be um, something that brings us together, that focus of we have to be here for them. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah and we kind of get strength from from each other. You know, hopefully that was the case for you guys. I know you have a close-knit family. I think yeah. that support among the family is very important as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um one thing that we did and I remember we when it first happened, each of us took care of one part. You know, for example, my sister Alma said I'm going to take care of her financial part. Mm and i'm going to help out with her daughter as well i knew i could deal with the doctors um so in my case it was more of like l- let me handle the paperwork for the hospital let me handle everything that has to do with her insurance and stuff like that for my parents it was more like don't do anything your your role is just to be here for your child you know and my brother he his role it was of handling parenting with my 16 year old niece you know we all took turns Mm -hmm. because Wendy and her daughter are very close to each other and when that happened who's gonna take Kayla to school who's gonna do that you know and who's gonna provide that support for Kayla at school because this child at the end of the day something's happening to her you know her mother is ill and a 16 year old sees the situation way different than an adult, you know. So for us I feel that we at that moment we all came together and we all kinda identify the roles that we wanted to play for Wendy and just to be there for her, you know. Yeah.
0: So how is Wendy doing nowadays?
2: You know what? I see her now, um, and I think, oh my gosh, is this the woman that had a brain aneurysm almost three years ago? She's doing really good now. Um I think she's better than she was when it first happened. When it first happened, um, I don't know, Kathy, if this happened to you, but the the patient, I don't know, emotionally, I don't know how that was for you, but emotionally, for Wendy, for her, it's not that she went into a depression or anything, but for her, it was, I cannot believe that happened to me. And... Um. She blamed herself for a little bit, you
1: know, and we, we tell her, it's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it just I, happened. Well, I, I don't think I ever went to that stage where it was like, okay, I blamed myself. No, I, I did not. Um, I did, however, because I don't remember anything. Yeah. I think uh, going back to your question about, you know, was it better that you, she didn't know? In a, in a sense, Yes. I, I think that uh, it, it was better for me to, in, for, in terms of myself, I thought it was better for me in terms of my recovery. Um, I knew that, you know, uh, I definitely I knew the road was hard. But at the same time, I, I also knew that I had two kids. I, had a, you know, I have a husband. I remember who they are. Yeah. And, I, and I have, you know, that personality where it's like you know, I'm, I'm very I'm like a go getter. If if I I guess whatever I went through, I survived through. Because I, uh, to be quite honest with you, I didn't really understand the severity of what I went through until. So what? Mine was March eighth. I didn't hear about everything until uh, the details until end of April. So Rob kept a lot of it away, you know, away from me. But I knew the one thing that I. I told myself is I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. You know, I was very, I had a lot of support going back to Delaware. You know, obviously when I was in California for the month, uh, you know, my family was super supportive. I think they wanted, part of them wanted, wanted me to stay there. But of course, you know, our lives is back in Delaware. So going back, I knew that I had to pick up where I went, you know, I I, I didn't feel like I had any deficit other than the fact that, you know, I got to get stronger. Um, So for me, no, I I didn't blame myself because, to be honest with you, I didn't know what an aneurysm was, never knew what it was, Um, researched on it, and uh, if anything, and this will be a later podcast probably between Rob and I, is... Um, when I felt that I was fully recovered, you know, I was, I was myself, you know, I was like, hurry, come on, let's go, let's go. Rob and I actually had an argument about it. He, (laughs) he was the guy, you know, I honestly felt like he was the guy that experienced all the pain and tribulation. And I was just the person like, oh, oh, okay. I had an an annual, really, it was that, it, it was, it was, it almost felt like nothing to me. Um, But again, we'll go into another podcast about that, about how I felt. Um, But, you know, but later on, it was more of the inner thinking, the inner self, um, uh, depression and um, guilt. It, It slowly manifested itself. Because you know, I I know Randy and I are completely different individuals. I'm a complete (laughs) extrovert. She's like an introvert. She's an introvert. Um, Yes. So for me, it was more like, all right, okay, let's go. Let's 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 recover. Let's get this done. I have no deficit. Let's go. So for me, yes, it was good that I don't remember. I don't remember anything uh, that happened at all, other than the fact that my main goal was to get better. I'm a mom. I'm an athlete, I got to get back to work. I remember actually mm. finishing a deal in ICU. I was a realtor at that time. Yeah, well, I remember but that. that. was just funny. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I think Rob maybe would have wanted me to feel a bit more emotion, <laughs> uh, even more emotion to, you know, what I went through to not take you know, life for granted. Not that I I did, mm-hmm. but I felt like, all right, I'm back. Let's 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 rock and roll. Like, what I'm are we waiting? In the game, yeah, I'm let back. You know, like, let's get this going. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, aren't you happy? Yeah. I'm back yeah. to my old self.
2: Yeah, yeah. But back to your question, definitely. When the she's way better now. You know, as soon as she was able to run again, I think it has helped her so much with her confidence again. You know, being able to run and that is her way of. That is her therapy, you know, that is what she loved the most then, and she loves the most now, besides her daughter, of course, but she's good, she's good, she's excited about the marathon, she says it's going to be, her time, she says it's 4.30, but I'm not sure, we'll see, <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh my God, Wendy, go, I mean, go get those miles, yeah, you know? that is awesome, yeah. but
0: I mean, I think a lot of that is, to me, attributed to, you know, you as a family and the support that you provided for, for Wendy, I think, throughout that recovery. I think, because I think not only being there to take care of all the logistics, right, and all the things that needs to get taken care of as life goes on, (laughs) uh, but I think um, emotionally, too, right? Because I think it sounds like some ways it's different from what Kathy went through, I think, but also in many ways the same there's a little bit of guilt of, well, what did I put my family through, right? Yeah. Um, but it sounds like, you know, I think she's stronger for having, you know, you, you and your your family support.
2: Yeah, you know, and back to what you said, situations like this do bring the family together, you know, and I feel closer, you know, it's one of those things that you say, wow, we went through that together, you know, and luckily how the blessing that we had that we were, there, you know, and that she's back to normal, I want to say, and that she's with us. Yeah. At the end of the day is, you're still here. You're still with us, you know, and you make plans, you know, and, and you say, I'm going to make the best out of it, you know, and her outlook on life, it's completely different now, you know. Um She's always been that woman, you know, that nothing really bothered her, but now it's even worse maybe <laughs>
0: yeah so I guess maybe telling back a little bit um how do you think you guys were able to get her life sort of back to normal or how was that like for all of you guys the entire family how do you think you or what are some of the things I think t- you did Continued to kind of get to it yeah to kind of get it just back to normal like get her her life back to normal and your guys' back to normal
2: well you know what one thing um, and I'm just Not saying this because I know you both, but one thing that really helped was having a support system, you know, having someone who had gone through the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, having knowing other survivors, knowing, learning more about what a brain aneurysm means, you know, learning, uh, being informed helped us having a good um, medical system also helped because I don't know through kick everything happened just so quick you know if she needed physical therapy it happened if she needed occupational therapy it happened if I asked for more Dr. Mac was able to say okay she needs more sessions I'll give her the referral you know so having a good medical system when something like that happens, definitely help because I remember telling Wendy, you're getting all this um, support, you can be back to normal, you know, eventually. And Dr. Mack said, you have no deficit. You know, you you really don't. You know, your short-term memory might be a little funny, but (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, you know. Dr. Mack expected something worse because of the the severity of the injury, I think, you know, because the aneurysm bled twice when he was performing surgery. And he said, I don't even know if this woman had an, a stroke while we were doing that, you know. So for Dr. Mack, he said, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that you came out of bed with really no deficit. So wow, for Wendy, incredible. you know, for Wendy, it was that having the support of you, Reading about other survivors, you um, learning more about what had happened. For us, for me, it was inf- same thing. And for me myself, my husband was definitely a, a pillar to us getting back to n- being normal. You know, for my parents, it it helped talking about it. You know, it helped. The more we talked, the more details we can. It was kind of like our family therapy and realizing wow at the end of the day she's still here you know so now I remember the first year I wasn't even able to talk about it without crying or without like getting emotional about it now I see her and I'm thinking oh my gosh Wendy and she's making all these plans and she's running and she's her life is really back to normal you know so that is one of those things that it just makes me happy <laughs> it makes me happy it's I that's feel awesome. like we've healed from that you know and now it's one of those things that I I want her to give back somehow you know that's what I want but I don't mm-hmm. you know and for her is, I know she's connected with other survivors through social media and mm-hmm. she's I don't know if she's referred them to you but <laughs> Kathy <laughs> because she is that introvert but For me, seeing her back to where she was, it's definitely a plus, you know, it's that contributes to the whole healing process, you know, she's back to normal. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. I think just from our conversation, I I appreciate so much you sharing very candidly, um, all that you went through and also the work that you do. I do have um, a few rapid fire questions for you can elaborate on the the answers but i i'm gonna try to keep the questions short so first question is so when i know we know you you also like to run so when you run would you say you're running from something or towards something
2: from something i want to say that i'm running from something (laughs) and the way that i want to say is um running for me has always been a time to reflect a time to kind of think about the good and the bad you know the bad for example things that i wish i could have done earlier in life you know and i'm thinking oh why didn't i do it so running for me is how do i how do i not do that i want to run away from that behavior or i want to run away from being impatient sometimes you know so running for me is a time to reflect you know, and I don't care about time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not like my other sisters. You know, I really don't care about time. Um, I usually get pretty emotional, too, when I think about things that have happened in life, whether, you know, friends that I had or Things with my husband that we went through. Sometimes I'll remember something like, oh, I wish I wasn't that bad that day, you know. (laughs) So I don't know if that's what it means running from something, but it's running from like, I don't want to do that anymore, you know. or I want to change this part of me. So it's it's therapy for me, you know. Yeah. That's
0: really good. So when is your favorite time to run and why? Like time of day to run?
2: Evenings. Uh. I love the evenings because for me it's time to unwind from what happened during the day again it's my therapy yeah you know for me is a way to release anything any bad energy that i might have collected during the day is that's my time to do it you know some people say no i like to start my day with running i'm not me like <laughs> no not me <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i may know what the answer to this next one is oh since we were just talking about it but so when when life gets overwhelming um what do you what, what do you like to do to kind of clear your head or or reset is it running oh
2: my god <laughs> it used to be running <laughs> <laughs> um i am the emotional one in my family so i cry um, i cry you know i
0: sometimes it's a good release yeah, yeah.
2: you know and I don't know, sometimes I don't like that part about me because I can just come home and see my husband or call my sisters and I'll just start crying and telling them what happened because I'm just frustrated. Uh-huh. But I also like to go for a hike, uh-huh. a hike, a walk, go see the sunset, Netflix, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I find my ways around that. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Where, where would you say is your happy place? So it doesn't have to be a location, but what would you call your happy place? My
2: happy place, traveling. Oh. That is my happy place. Yeah, traveling, I don't know, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere, yeah. everywhere. Anywhere, <laughs> Anywhere. Anywhere everywhere. everywhere. I have a bucket list. I just don't have the money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, what advice would you give to someone facing kind of a personal setback
2: i would say don't stop don't give up look for help find the right pillars that can help you get through that hurdle you know like we did with my sister that's awesome yeah
0: i mean that's a great way to close this this podcast episode out is it all wraps up to me as helping yourself by helping others i think that's a lot of kind of what we run with you is about and what i think this podcast is about is doing better by doing good and give back
2: always give back you know be there for someone that needs you
0: Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for joining us and sharing these stories i i just love listening to them and i definitely learned so much also um, do you have any parting words for, for our listeners?
2: I just want to say thank you to you both for this opportunity. It's the more people hear about stories such as Kathy's or my sister's, you know, it, it gives hope. It gives hope to those that it doesn't necessarily have to be a brain aneurysm. It can be any other traumatic yeah. experience, you know, but know that at the end of the day, you're still going to shine you will shine, you know, you're still going to be yourself again. So for me is, yeah, if you fall, you may look up, but at the end of the day you say,
1: well, I'm up again. And yeah. what's next? Well, before we completely close out, I do want to include one last parting message um, and words to you and to Wendy when you guys read this. Um you know not a lot of people know about this but i i did suffer you know to be quite frank um I, I did suffer survivor guilt you know because i didn't have any deficit i think that's why i kept pushing myself and finally you know when i f- did meet you, you um i was i was introduced and connected to you and wendy i literally said to myself And I I think to Rob, I said, I think this is why I survived. I survived so I can meet someone like Wendy. Um, So I can tell her, you know, that things will get better. You know, I, as you said, you know, I've, I walked her shoes and um, I knew what the outlook for her would be. Um, So again, I want to thank you for reaching out to me and allowing me to be part of, Wendy's recovery, um, your recovery in essence as well. So, you know, and, and your friendship that we've, um, have, you know, these past well, close to three years now, I, I just, I'm truly grateful that I, you know, that the path that I've, I've come from all of this, you know, it's five years, it's going to be five years for me exactly tomorrow. And, uh, you know, looking back at all of this, you know, it's, a uh, <laughs> you know I, I, can't, I can't say enough how how meeting individuals like yourself and al- allowing myself to to give back has helped me dearly in recovering not just in terms of physically but more emotionally was what I needed so thank you again Rocio well, the feeling is mutual you know um I
2: I say it today. I said it yesterday, and I'll say it tomorrow. Meeting you was such a blessing. You know, we didn't know what life had in front of us. You know, after Wendy's um, waking up from that um, experience, you know, so having you there, it was really, it was, it was healing. You know, it was knowing that you were there.
0: Garcia, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, this has been really an awesome experience. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us. We will have our CEO's social media contact on our show notes, and we will catch you on the next one thanks
1: again for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please consider leaving us a review on itunes and sharing this podcast you can find show notes and other episodes as well as articles from rocio and many of our contributors on we run with you.org you can connect with us on social media at we run with you on instagram and facebook rocio is at xio underscore cat kat on instagram until next time keep doing good